The title is, What Type of Christian Ought You to Be? Turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3. We're going to read verses 10 through 13 for our introduction to this message. What type of Christian ought you to be? Or the type of Christian. Either one works. So in 2 Peter chapter 3, we read about the return of the Lord. How it's going to come. And in verse 10, it tells us that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be? You know this. You sitting in front of me, many of you watching by the way of the live stream, and many of you listening by way of the radio, you know this. You know these things are going to come to pass. So the question is then, what type of Christian ought you to be? In all holy conversation, which means your behavior and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Verse 13 is something that I've been mentioning to you that should be actually in the forefront of our mind, where it says, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. What type of Christian ought you to be? Now that's really a, a type of, not literally an oxymoron, but it's a type of oxymoron. Only one Christian named in the Bible, one spirit, one faith, one baptism, only one. And yet there's over 40 some odd thousand denominations around the world. Thus, this is what I say. I've just given up on Christianity. You got Methodists and Free Methodists and Baptists and four-point Calvinists and three-point Calvinists and five-point Calvinists. And you got Roman Catholics and Eastern Orthodox and on and on and gone into the tens of thousands. Where in 1 Corinthians it says, one says, I am of Paul, I am of Peter, or Cephas, I am of, you know, and the Apostle Paul says, look at, paraphrasing, he says, look at, none of these people died for you. There's only one. He's Jesus. And with that, I should mention that the Apostle Paul even says, there's some who just say, I only follow Jesus, trying to show not necessarily their dedication to the Savior, but a moral and spiritual superiority. I'm more spiritual than you. And it's condemned in the Bible. Those of you who are actually more spiritual than others around you should display it in your behavior. The same characteristics that we find in Jesus. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, he says. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. I want you to listen to this statement found in a book that I read, and see if you agree or at least understand. When unbelievers, those that don't believe in Jesus Christ, when unbelievers see Christians sad, listen very carefully, profound words. When unbelievers see Christians sad, as they hold the cup of salvation in their hands, they suspect the wine is not so good as preachers say it is. If traders to the Indies return poorer than they were when they began, 
It would be hard to convince others to venture to that place, regardless of how many golden mountains might tower there. Christian, do not give unbelievers reason to imagine by seeing you limping through the race that they must forfeit happiness if they become Christians and spend the rest of their lives in a house of mourning. Is Christ's gospel full of abundant life or not? Then do not go into debt with the world to soak up its carnal benefits. You need never leave God's house to be made glad. And this is, I think, even more profound than the statements I've just read when the author says, most of Christ, listen, most of Christendom is made up of old disciples, not new converts. The womb of the gospel has been shut up from bringing forth souls into a solid work of conversion. Of course, if you count those who baptize themselves into new religious feelings with good intentions and wholesome opinions, there are plenty of Christians. But in this age of withering professions of faith and an even weaker practice of holiness, it is hard to find a real convert. It's profound. But in my mind, when I read it, what makes it even more profound is that was written between 1655 and 1662, proving there's nothing new under the sun. Here, William Gurnall, who I've brought to you several times over the years, says two things. Don't let the way you live discourage people from becoming a Christian and think that the joy of the Lord is not really anybody's strength because they never see it in you. Secondly, he says that the impediment to real Christians, converts, is the fact that there's a withering faith. And this is the 16th century. A withering faith and the lack of holiness and so on. There is nothing new under the sun. The problems the church faced from the beginning are the same problems that we're facing now with one significant difference. They have multiplied. We're dealing with much more of it. But would you like to find out when you meet Jesus that he brings to your attention that there were several people that never received him because of your behavior? Certainly, I don't want that in my case. I don't. I really don't. People turn away from Christ for various reasons. I don't want to be one of those reasons they turn away from Christ. However, that doesn't mean I'm going to stop speaking the truth. I'm not going to placate people. Jesus didn't. The apostles didn't. Certainly the prophets didn't. So I won't either. But the point is well taken. This salvation is supposed to be so great that it's supposed to shine through us all the day long. But let's be honest. We know it doesn't. And we should be all the more careful. And we should be all the more dedicated to have this book that God wrote come alive in our life. Even if it never came alive in anyone else's, it should come alive in ours. We can go to our God in private and tell him our complaints, which we all have. But never should we disgrace the master, disgrace the so-called family reputation of Christianity, the church, by our behavior. That's what the word conversation means. Now, in the text that I just read to you, it tells us the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. That means there will be many, many people not expecting that the heavens are going to dissolve. Even though people like Stephen Hawking brought that out. Well, he didn't bring out the Bible verse because the very last book he read, he re-emphasized there is no creator. It's quite a statement for a man who's been peering into the stars his entire life. Doesn't make sense to me, but... Too late now, he's gone. 
We know these things are going to happen, or do we? I mean, it's not so much a matter right now of who's convinced out there. It's how convinced are you that we are living in the end times. That the coming of Christ, though we cannot name dates and should not name dates, is very, very close. And you will give an account for your life. I've told you that I've always known this. I don't expect that Jesus is going to examine me on everything I've ever said and everything I've ever done and commend it all because I know that he won't. However, as time is going on in this world, in my life, I'm endeavoring to draw closer and closer, as we just sang about, closer and closer to the Lord, the Lord, the one found in the book. We read in the scriptures the signs of the times. And as I just mentioned to you that there's really nothing new under the sun, the exception would be world population and technology. But other than that, human beings are still human beings. People who just file into a church meeting for whatever their reason may be with, as Gernal said, wholesome ideas, good intentions, feeling good. We have a lot of that. We have a lot of preachers appealing to the emotions, appealing to the clock, meaning I'll get you out of here very, real quick. You can check off on your to-do list, worship God. Remember, worshiping God has nothing to do with time unless you include it in 24 hours in a day. It's the way you live. It's the way you behave. It's the way you think. It's everything about you. That's true worship. In any case, we were given in this book plenty of signs that says, this is how you'll know I'm very, very close, which for us. As I just pointed out in verse 13 of 2 Peter 3, should be our thinking about new heavens, a new earth, new kingdom, paradise restored. But my experience has been with the average Christian, that's not what they're thinking about. True, we have to deal with the issues at hand, all of the evil that we're seeing, and we're seeing more of it. But we must remember that we're going to pass through that. Until Christ comes for his church before we get to this promise in verse 13. And that's where our minds should be, like Bunyan wrote in the Pilgrim's Progress. The eye was always on the celestial city. Let me help you. Let me read to you just a few headlines from this week's news. The first two are from yesterday. Forecasters warn of the potential for historic flooding. Listen to this with a year's worth of rainfall occurring within a couple of days, talking about Southern California. One year worth of rainfall in a couple of days, a whole year. In that report, there's another report, I'll read it to you. In the desert, one meteorologist or his team are predicting three years worth of rain in the deserts in just a couple of days. Your headlines, the headlines in the media says, it is of historic proportions. This has never happened before is what they say. Another headline from yesterday's news says this, heat dome over central U.S. could bring hottest temperatures yet to parts of the Midwest. One part's getting flooded, the other part's getting roasted, and we have so much going on. Yet I ask the question of you, are you aware of the signs of the times? Are they sending to you a message that this is the time to be fully dedicated to Christ? Richard Baxter, the Puritan preacher, said this once, I preached as never sure to preach again, and as a dying man to dying men. And that also was a few hundred years ago. But now I believe the pulpits of not only America, but around the world should be heralding the coming of Christ as we see the signs. But let's go further. 
That deals with the weather and what will actually occur in Southwest, we'll have to see this weekend starting today. Another headline from this week, just a couple of days ago, reads this way. Cold-blooded nurse found guilty of murdering seven babies at hospital neonatal unit. The 33-year-old is now the United Kingdom's most prolific child serial killer. She attacked infants by injecting insulin, milk, or air into their tiny bodies, leading to their sudden collapse. She was accused of physically assaulting one baby and causing a liver injury akin to a road traffic collision. When we read in our Bible, we read about the times of Noah that were primarily violence. Times of Sodom, Gomorrah, times of Lot was primarily, not exclusively, primarily sexual immorality. But let me say this. I have always thought to myself that if we could first start with an abortion at inception, and that's acceptable, and then up to a few months, and then up to six months, and then up to nine months, even before the baby comes out of the womb, even if it was ready in a couple of minutes, and abortion is acceptable. I said to myself many times, what is now to cross over the line that once a baby is born, if you're not satisfied, to kill it. And this woman seems as though she has taken that to heart. She killed seven living babies and is now number one serial killer. Kensington, Pennsylvania, a neighborhood in Philadelphia. Crisis in Kensington. This Philadelphia area went from a safe haven to, quote, hell on earth. Kensington has for years been a haven where addicts could freely shoot heroin. But as stronger substances like fentanyl and trank, which is the slang for xylazine, an animal tranquilizer, the flesh-eating drug, if you've seen any pictures of it, since that took hold, the neighborhood devolved further into a full-on deathbed and a hotspot for crime. Current and former residents speak about this. At one point, it was a drug haven, a place where people could come and get high, where they're not going to be judged. <laughs> well, not by men, maybe. The Apostle Paul writes to us and tells us about fornication, sexual immorality. When you sin, in other ways, you sin outside your body, says he who commits fornication sins against his own body. And when you're doing this type of thing, you're sinning against yourself, not to mention the crimes that are committed, to keep up with your habit, expensive habit. Anyway, they went there so they wouldn't be judged, said Frank Rodriguez, a recovering heroin addict who dealt drugs in Kensington. Quote, it went from being a place where people got high to, you know, you look around and you see skin and bones. Hey, Frank, you sold these drugs to these people. You were on it. You should know what it does. But it's a safe place. Now, and I've seen the pictures, just like you see in San Francisco and other places where everybody's laid out all with the sidewalk. When you see their skin, it looks like Ebola. The skin is being eaten alive from what's in the heroin. Heroin was bad enough. And fentanyl sort of makes it worse. Kensington, it's a neighborhood, has become a worldwide focal point for excessive public drug consumption, showcasing worsening effects from deadly substances like trank, xylazine, and infiltrating the illicit drug supply. The neighborhood was always known for its drug use, but even more addicts lined the sidewalks in recent years and now are often covered in drug-induced flesh-eating wounds. Now, what are you talking about all this? How do you even put this together? These are just, I mean, this is not even the tip of an iceberg of all that the Bible says will happen before Christ finally appears to judge the living and the dead. And if others don't know, you should. And if you do, 
then you need to take the warnings of Scripture to do what the song said that we had this morning and draw closer and closer to Christ, to Jesus. And again, I remind you, if you're looking for him, don't wait for a dream or a vision or someone's book who says they've seen him. Look for him right here in his book. For years I've been sharing this and I was disregarded by physicians until recently. Two years ago, a headline said this, marijuana's mental health pros and cons. The research on regular teenage use is especially troubling. Another headline says, schizophrenia linked to marijuana use Disorder is on the rise, study finds. Now, I talk to people on a regular basis, just recently, about two weeks ago, who talk about the medicinal use, and I just use it for medicine. I even told one younger man, maybe you should give it up. I'll never give it up. But what he doesn't see is what I observe when I'm watching him. The twitches, one minute he's in, one minute he's out of, or at least that's the appearance. One minute he's staring me in the face, the next minute he's not. And I know that he smokes a lot. I shared with physicians in years gone by that marijuana use can cause schizophrenia based on my personal experience. And then books that I read and reports, and now over the decades, they're saying, yes, this is true. Why am I bringing it up? Because we've legalized it. In my take a couple of years ago here in New York, when we legalized it, I said there's going to be a rise in the mental health population, and there are the headlines from the media that are saying so. And if others don't know these things, you should. And you should be drawing closer to Christ. And this is all from yesterday's news, two I just read two years ago, and then three weeks ago. I find this very engaging. Just listen to me. You read, you heard this headline. The U.S. recovered non-human biologics from UFO crash sites, former Intel office official says. This is in the news. So no longer are we talking about people that we consider to be cranks, Crackpots, seeing things, and most of which can be explained naturally, but not all. Now you have intelligence officers who came forward, went to Congress, and talked about it, said, we've seen the wreck, and we've seen biological remains. A House Oversight Subcommittee three weeks ago held a hearing on UFOs, officially known as Unidentified Aerial Phenomena, or UAPs, and heard mystifying testimony about unexplained object sightings and government possession of non-human biological matter. Is it true? I can't say it's true, because I don't know. The one thing I do know is that Jesus talked about there be phenomena in the sky, in the galaxy, or in our galaxy, in the Milky Way. There be signs on the earth, and we're seeing it everywhere. 220 acres of the island of Maui is gone. And if I may just throw this in at no extra cost, of course, the predators are coming in to buy the land. They're going to build. And it's all about money. And once again, the Bible says it's the love of money. That is the root of all evil. We find it starting in the church. And then, of course, everywhere else in the world, money. Almost always is about two things, money and power. I won't go through this now. But Avi Loeb holds a fascination for me because he's the longest tenured professor in the Department of Astronomy in Harvard's history. And as an astronomer, he's on the record, I gave it to you some months ago in a message, on the record of saying we have been visited. His newest book was coming out in a couple of weeks, and I will read it, is that we now have to plan to make contact. That's the word that's used. Well, you can't make contact with someone or something that's not there. But the longest tenured professor in the field of astronomy, he is saying we must prepare for contact with these so-called aliens. 
And he's well-respected around the world. Again, it's not another crackpot, or people we think are crackpots. You may not know, but there's things in the Bible we cannot explain, like how Elijah was taken up in the chariot of fire, or how Elisha was surrounded by chariots of fire, or this subject that we hardly ever talk about is angels. And I'm not making a connection necessarily between UFOs and angels and other things. However, I am saying there's things we do not understand that have not been completely revealed to us in the Bible or in our papers. And we are seeing phenomenon after phenomenon. And I'm asking you, if you know these things, as the book says, are you drawing closer to Christ? And only you can answer that question. As for me, I began many years ago with the fear of the Lord. That fear of the Lord has kept me out of many troubles and many sorrows. And what about you? I know people, maybe some of you are sitting here today, you're more afraid of what your boss thinks than what God thinks. There's some of you that think your boss actually dictates how much money you make. No, he does not. Number one, God does, and then your work ethic is very close to it. But let's put God first. I talk about the tithes and the offerings. I'm not a prosperity preacher. These are con artists. But the principle is there, financial giving, to help the ministry. And there's many other things that we need to do in this hour of history. But you could read for yourself these things and more. And I'm just giving you a little tiny, tiny, small buffet of all that's going on in your world right now that should be alerting you to the fact that this is what Jesus talked about. This is what the apostles meant. We could talk about the cashless society. I told you I went to buy a bottle of water at a local gym, put out a couple of bucks, how much is the water, whatever it was, put out the cash. They said, we don't take cash, just a credit card. I put the water back. But that doesn't mean there's not all the technology in place. Look up the Echelon program, which began in the Second World War, and what it's capable of doing now. And we don't know precisely how it's being used, but it could monitor and track every single person on the planet. That's over 8 billion people. China's got technology in place where they're now stating that they can track every one of their citizens. A billion people. Folks, we're there. If you talk about immorality and you talk about violence and you talk about perversions and you talk about just things that are weird, you talk about things that don't make sense and on and on and on. We have arrived. How close are we? I can't say I don't know, but my opinion is that we're very close. I think about not only my children, but my grandchildren. Who is telling them these things? Who is telling them the truth? Where's this family altar? Where's the devotions at the house? Where's the Bible on the table? And listen, parents, if you don't instruct your children, you can be certain somebody is. And God forbid it should happen to any of you here where your own child turns against you. Because the professor at the school, with his or her impressive degrees has basically told your son or your daughter on the university level mostly, but now we have it on the kindergarten level, that your parents may be well-intentioned people, but we're the smart ones. We'll tell you what gender you are. That's going on in grade school. By the time you reach the university, math is math. And you may have seen this woman, I believe she was in Canada, stating, this is the truth, stating that if you say two plus two is four, for an example, it's racist. Two plus two equals four is a racist statement. And she goes on to this convoluted, delusional conversation. But remember this as well. God has written in his word because they love not the truth. God shall send them a strong delusion. I don't know how many people you have met that are delusional, but I've met plenty of them. In my office, 
in my ministry over the years that are truly delusional. Let me say something else. In the Pentecostal charismatic church, we have plenty of people who are delusional, who on a regular basis are visiting with God through dreams and visions. Not that I say they're not true. I know that they're true. But they're a small percentage of how God actually speaks. He speaks through this Bible. And we have delusions inside the church. The signs are with us, my friends. It's just a question of now, as the apostles said in Acts chapter 2, men or the people said, after hearing Peter preach, said, men and brethren, what shall we do? What shall we do? We could talk about the many, many, these are the signs of the times, the many, many false teachers that will be on the scene. We could talk about mankind being capable of destroying the whole earth with its weapons. We know that that to be true right now. The use of nuclear weapons alluded to in Zechariah 14, 12, where it says that the flesh would be burned, but the buildings would be intact, has been accomplished, not necessarily accomplished. Theoretically, it can be accomplished with a neutron bomb. The blast is small, but the radiation is so strong, it literally melts the flesh and everything else stands. This is Zach Epps, written 1900 years ago. A cry for global peace, which we hear everywhere. Damascus to be destroyed, and we know it's a hotbed for terrorism. Chaotic weather, I just mentioned. Global communications. Never could a preacher like myself reach, potentially and theoretically, the whole world with a camera in front of him like this now, and radio and so on. Back in the times of the prophets, times of Jesus, it was by mouth traveling long, long ways to tell the good news. Now, like that. Global government, a literal Babylon to be built, as we see in the book of the Revelation. Many people deny that, but Saddam Hussein spent 20 years rebuilding it, believing he was the resurrected or second Nebuchadnezzar. The possession of Jerusalem as a city of contention is now with us. One city, name any city that you can name off the top of your head, a large city, Rome, New York, Miami, Los Angeles, Tokyo, Hong Kong, name them all. But none of them are as troublesome as Jerusalem, which takes in the whole world in the Middle East. The fact that God flooded the world, that story exists in every culture on the face of the earth, maybe with a few exceptions. Every single culture, everyone. The scientists say, no, 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 no. This fossil record's all over the place. But no, that's not how it happened. Why? Because of the implications of a God that judges sin. Wars and rumors of wars. Right now, and I looked this up yesterday, I say right now, there is over 30 major conflicts in the war, most of which we never hear. We hear about Ukraine and Russia, because that involves the United States directly. So with 30 major conflicts going on right now, and 10,000 people died last year in some major conflict around the world, which you never hear about. But they're there. The prison population, for example, from 1920, went from just, we'll say a few thousand, maybe 100,000, a little bit more, in 1920. By 10 years ago, it was over 2.5 million people incarcerated. Even though our statistics, now listen to this, this is the, kind of the humor. The humor of it, as the Irish say, is that crime is going down. If crime is going down, why are we locking up more people? An average person can figure out this doesn't make sense. Crime's going down, but we're locking up more and more people. And this was talked about in the Bible as well. Knowledge would increase in Daniel 12. No need to talk to you about the technology. Some of you sitting right here, you avoid the technology because to you it's too complicated. I don't blame you for that. It can get complicated. Artificial intelligence. The list goes on and on and on and on. 
And I'm speaking to you because you profess to be Christians. I'm speaking to those that watch because most who watch profess to be Christians. And so do those who listen on the radio. What type of Christian, what type of person ought you to be knowing these things? We read in the Bible, know ye not, and it goes through a list of behavioral things that we see very commonly in our world. Don't you know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Am I to come before you today and to encourage you? Don't worry about your sin. It's all grace. I won't because I've read the sixth chapter of Romans and the eighth to know what real grace does. A young man sent me an email just this week asking my opinion about something on this subject. And he shared with me that he had talked to a pastor that he's known for years and this pastor who's been around for some time said to him, well, my opinion on sin is now that there's more gray areas. You know what the other side of wrong is? It's right. And the other side of right is wrong. Amen. Right. Now, some things, you know, are debatable. Some people make sins of things the Bible does not speak about. Tobacco would be one. And that's adding to the word of God, which God says, don't add and don't subtract. Don't touch it. Neither way, don't touch my book. Don't amend it. But we have a situation right now that every conceivable possible opportunity to draw close to Christ is with us. And there is no book like this book right here because its most important mark of distinction is that it dares to accurately predict the future. This is how it's going to go. And we have lived long enough to watch it go exactly that way. Nation rising against nation. Kingdom against kingdom. Nation against nation, as you know, is underlined by the Greek word ethnos. I have a lot of friends who are African-American, if that's what they choose to call themselves. I rarely call myself an Irish-American. I'm just an American of Irish descent. And most of them don't play with the racial stuff. However, in the minds of some, I am a racist. And I was in a conversation with a woman who's Latino. And she's whiter than me. (laughs) Remember, if you're white, you're white. And if you're dark, you're dark. And I am a white supremacist and a racist simply because I'm white. I've never been prejudiced in my whole life. I'm not going to start now. For people who have obfuscated intellects that are so dull that they're giving themselves over to the strong delusion of the last days. My friends, don't give yourself over to these things. Don't keep making excuses for why you can't do this for the Lord. You can't do this for the Lord. You better do it. Because Jesus said, I will come back and I'm taking an account. Read Matthew 25. You say you're his servant? Oh, yeah, pastor, yeah. Then make sure you have a post. See, this is my post. I have other places that I study. And most of them are not inside this building. Because of technology, I don't have to be here. I can go a lot of places and find seclusion and study and contemplate. But I'm at my post this morning. I was in a conversation with a man that I just met for the very first time the other day, and we started off talking about this or that or the other thing. And before you know it, we got on to the situation going on in the world. I told him I was a preacher, and he went through these scenarios I'm talking to you about this morning and never did it with a Bible. There's no knowledge of the Bible at all. Nice man, a good guy, I would say, just a good guy. We had a good conversation. But you see... This is my opportunity to say, well, we're fulfilling prophecy and to introduce the Bible. Do you have to give people the four spiritual laws to witness to them? No. You get led by the Spirit. You find what they're interested in and you bring Jesus into the conversation. That's always worked for me. 
But we're supposed to have the spirit of the Lord leading us. And my friends, there is plenty of opportunity to talk. Are you hiding somewhere that people don't know? I mean, somebody heard that you're going to that church. Are you ashamed of it? If so, find another church. I wouldn't go to a church I'm ashamed of. But no matter where you go, you make sure you're never ashamed of the Jesus of this Bible. He said, if you deny me before men, I will certainly deny you before the angels in the presence of the Father. And I don't identify myself as a believer in Christ simply because I'm concerned about his judgment. I do it because I truly believe in him. And I've lived long enough and seen, I'm giving you so little information today. So little. I looked at this here, just right before I came out here, I said, Lord, I can't give them all this. It's overwhelming. We would have to make this into a Bible study that would last minimum four weeks. Probably longer than that. To go through every detail of what's going on in the world. Most of which you already know. But my point in this message is what kind of Christian ought you to be knowing these things? I mentioned a little while ago and I have mentioned in the past. But it's really a tongue-in-cheek statement when I say I've given up on Christianity. I don't want to be the one that says Baptist born, Baptist bred, Baptist living and Baptist dead. I don't want to be that. I don't want to be anybody's boy. I just want to be a servant of the Lord. I want to be faithful. I want to preach the truth in love. And to blow the trumpet in Zion. Pastor, I'm up against a lot of stress is what you say to me. Now, I would match my stress with yours any day of the week and twice on Sunday. But I'm not going to let it take me down. If I fall down, I'll get back up again. If I fall down six times, no, even seven, I'll keep getting back up again. I'm not going to not be at my post, spiritually speaking. There may be times I'm not here physically. But they're far and few in between, if you haven't noticed. What kind of Christian ought you to be? What's your moniker? One of the reasons I left my former denomination is because I'm not going to be one of their lackeys. I'm not going to put up with their unrighteousness. And I'm not going to go along to get along. I didn't sign on for that. I signed on for Jesus. What did you sign on for? Signed on for Jesus. Where do you find him? Any day, any night, any time. He's always there in the book. In Psalm 50, verse 23, the Bible says, Whoso offereth praise glorifies me, and to him that orders his behavior right, I will show the salvation of God. Now, this is King James. I'm changing the word conversation to what it actually means, your behavior, how you live. Philippians 1:27. For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience. You should go to bed at night with an approving conscience. Not one that's causing you to toss and turn and toss and turn. That in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our behavior in the world and more abundantly to you. Word. Philippians 3.20 Only let your behavior be as it becomes the gospel of Christ. That You find it here. Let your behavior be that which complements, as I read from Gurnall. I was never approached by a Christian other than that young girl who gave me a track and never spoke a word. That was it. The rest, God chose me to be on my own, which was not the easiest way to do it, but it worked out. But if I was approached by some Christian who I know is just as unhappy as I am, I said, you really need to have Christ. My first question would be, why? And maybe he or she could give me an intelligent answer. But if he was to add or she was to add, because you're going to be happy. My second question is, why aren't you happy? Oh, I got problems. I got problems too. All the people out there got problems. We're supposed to be overcomers. 
And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith that we believe. Fear not, he said. And how many times has he said that? Don't believe the things you read that fear not is in there 365. It's not. But it's there a lot. Fear not, be not afraid. Over and over again, he tells you, his people, don't be afraid. Are you tempted? Yes. Am I tempted? Absolutely. But I won't give in to it. Just like you, I'm no different. But there's a resolve, and it has to be resolved. We're going to stand for Christ. 1 Timothy 4, 12, for our behavior is in heaven. Our conversation is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I remember Bill Cosby, before he got himself into trouble, making fun of black churches in the inner cities, you know, all this. We got to do things. Well, evidently, he was doing things. So his criticism, in my mind, is null and void. But we are taught to look for the salvation that comes from heaven. Or as some would say, pie in the sky. I don't believe in pie in the sky. And just what do you believe in? I could show you from books I'm reading now, as a matter of fact, on nutrition. From some of the top researchers in the world. One whose great-grandfather started the Cleveland Clinic, the number one heart hospital in the world. The other, the top researcher, been noted in all different places and committees and 300 research papers. And what I find intriguing about both of these men... And their opinions on nutrition is that they complain about their own colleagues that are hiding the information from the general public. Why do I find that intriguing? Because that's exactly what we're finding in the media, in our country, in the government, and from pulpits. And that's the worst. I take issue with some pastor who says, I'm a motivational speaker. I am not a motivational speaker. I have given a couple motivational speeches on occasion, but I'm not a motivational speaker. I'm a preacher. I'm what this book says. I'm not going to try to be more clever than God. Come here, our motivational speaker. Come here, our coach. I'm not your coach. I'm your pastor. And if you're a good parent, and I know that you are, you don't always agree with your children. Because the scripture doesn't say, parents, obey your children. It says, children, obey your parents. We now have children dominating their parents. And the reason is because, you know, moms and dads, they want to be good parents. They want to be understood and loved and all that. But there comes a time that someone has got to be in charge and say, this is wrong. And this will not go on in my house. I saw a clip of an old movie. I forgot the name of the movie, but the daughter was telling mama, mama, I don't believe in God. And she went on this line. Things that we do for ourselves, we give credit to God and he don't exist. And you can see the mother was getting mad. It was a movie, old, old movie. This mother get up. I mean, she was big. She got up and she approached her daughter and she looked her eyeball to eyeball. She said, you say this out loud. In my mama's house, God still exists. She was reluctant. So mom, you say out loud that in my mama's house, God still exists. Eventually, the young girl backed down. Someone has to be in charge. And if you're the head of your house, well, guess who's elected? It's you. We have so many exhortations in the scripture to live according to the scriptures because of the return of Christ, of which this generation, think of spokes on a wagon wheel. Let's say a dozen spokes. And you can study each one individually, economics, ecology, anything from the tropical rainforest, nations warring, all of these things, unrest, sodomy, murders in hospitals, nurses killing babies, literally killing infants, or at least one case. And how do we know what other cases have gone on that we haven't heard about? But here's the difference from times in past. That happened here, that happened here. We had Jack the Ripper. That happened here, that happened here. But now they're all happening at once and converging to one big event, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
They're all converging right now. You want your name not only to be known in heaven. You want your name to be known in hell. So what do you mean by that? That means that you want to live in such a way that the devil is looking for you. I do not advocate, as I told you, to invite him. I'm just saying you live, if you put on a uniform of any country, really, and you go to war, we recognize that you're the enemy by the uniform. And that there's going to be shots fired on both sides. And only one is going to live, theoretically. You want to have your name known not only in heaven, but in hell. We see, here comes the seven sons of Sceva. And they're watching all these miraculous things. <laughs> and they see how the Apostle Paul casts out spirits. So they take this man here. There's seven of them. One demon-possessed man. And we say, we adjure you. In the name of the God that Paul preaches. Jesus, come out of this man. The answer is classical. Paul, we know. Jesus, we know. Who are you? That man beat up seven other men. The Apostle Paul had the real thing, obviously. And it's still for today. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is more than the title of a song. It's more than just something that comes out of your lips. It's more than some circus act in some church where everybody's jumping around. I'm not against necessarily dancing. I'm just saying that people act foolishly. Paul was the Lord. And what was accomplished? What was accomplished? And as the old timers have said, and I've told you this before, they used to say, I don't care how high you jump during the service, just as long as you walk straight when you come down. That's wisdom. And then we have scripture after scripture after scripture exhorting us how to live righteously by God's definition, not man's. So what type of Christian ought you to be? Well, it tells us the day the Lord's going to come as a thief in the night for some, it won't for you. It shouldn't for you. These things shouldn't be taking you by surprise. And by the way, they should not be causing fear. They should be causing an anticipation to say, wow, these things are happening more and more and more. That means that the kingdom is also getting closer and closer and closer. Even so was the credo of the early church. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. And when he comes, I want to let you know what party I'm voting for. I'm voting for Jesus. He's got my vote now. And so we have to wait. But the signs are all around us. Are you feeling the pressure? In life, I meant. Are you feeling the pressure? Because I don't know who's not. See, I'm not because I'm a preacher. I got it easy. I leave here, close the book. Everything goes so smooth. So smooth. It goes smooth in my home. It goes smooth in my yard. It goes smooth in the pastorate. It's always smooth for me because, well, after all, what do I really do? But it doesn't go smooth for you. It doesn't go smooth for any of us. And the more your name is being, let's say, heralded, the more God is saying, hey, have you considered my servant? And you put in your name. The more God's bragging on you. Well, Satan's just all the more enraged. And be careful of this. This came to my mind. I was sharing it with my wife. And it's the word subtlety. Most of you sitting here, and I guess most watching and listening on the radio, probably are not going to be the person that's just going to simply get up and leave their husband or the wife. I'm not happy. If you're married, you're not happy. And it's just that simple. All right, all right, you're an exception. I met a woman once who was in the church who told me she had never had a fight with her husband. And uh, I said to myself, in my head, I didn't say it to her, I said, nobody gets married, doesn't have arguments and disagreements and whatever, it's silent treatments. Nobody. 
But we have to realize we're married to Christ and Christ will always do what is the right thing by his people. That's you. Everybody is feeling the pressure. Weird, strange things are happening. And you must not think, as this book says, it's here in 2 Peter, don't think it's a strange thing concerning the fiery trial which has come to test you. Don't think it's strange. It happens to everybody who truly belongs to God. But let me go back and I'll finish with this word subtle. For those of you that are full out dedicated to Christ, you won't have to look for the big things. I mean, they're still there. It's subtleties. It may be one line in the, I don't mean the Bible, one line in a good book that puts a thought in your head that all of a sudden it's festering like a cancer. And then you start to realize it's contradicting the book. I'll tell you something I do and develop this habit. When a thought comes in my head, any thought that I don't want, I immediately say, I'm not thinking about that. I dismiss it immediately. I don't give it time to germinate. I don't give it time to process its roots and grow in my head. In years past, I did because it was so subtle. It was so subtle. Now, as you grow closer to the book and the light is shining, thought comes in my head could be anything that's contrary to this book. And I say to myself, inside myself, I'm thinking about that. Move on. It could be fear thought, depressing thought. It could be anything. Dismiss it. And bring every thought in your mind into subjection to this book and to what it says. So that when Christ comes, oh, let me go back. So that we could say this morning, even so, come Lord Jesus. I've talked to people that say, well, I, I want them to come back, but I just want to see my grandkids grow up. Well, that's noble and I get it. But you know what? I would prefer God take my grandchildren young if he's coming back. I'm at He's coming back, taken before they have to see. I wish that these young people can only go just so long. When I watch my grandchildren, and then again, I think about my children when they were younger, and I see them prancing around and laughing and not a care in the world. I really wish they can just get to a certain age. I don't know what age precisely, seven or eight maybe, and just stop. And just stop and not have to see what we adults have seen. I think about my own life and how I started out as a kid with all these naive views of life and how things eventually have gone. But that's how it goes in a sinful world. But beware of subtleties. Beware of seduction. I want to say most women, that's changing too. But for a man to come out and say, I want to have sex with you when you first meet a woman is not likely to get the intended results. It's changing. It's changing. So what a man will do, and women do it too, is they seduce a compliment. I see this all the time. I mean, with my eyes. I hear it with my ears. I see men. I know what they're doing. Many times because I just, I know them. I mean, I actually physically know them. Oh, a little compliment. Oh, can I help you out with this? But they're looking for something else. I've actually told women this. So they will talk to you for a second. I would stay away from that guy if I was you. Because what he's looking for is not good. But Satan is out to seduce you. And the thing is, you got to know this book to recognize, whoa, wait a second. Has God said you can't eat of all the trees of the garden? Oh, no, no, no. He said just one. There's the subtle lie. Why not? Why can't you eat that one tree? Well, the Lord said we'll die. Now the blatant, which is what the time we're living in right now. Evil is now blatant. It's thrown right on the table. Now the blatant lie. You're not going to die. Let me translate for you. You're going to go to heaven. Everybody goes to heaven. Everybody that dies, if they make some weak profession, automatically they just get in. You raise your hand and pray to this prayer. There, you're in. Can't lose it. And that's not what this book says. That's not what this book says. 
But the seduction and the subtleties is what you have to look for. It's the thought that creeps in your mind you didn't notice it and starts growing. Don't any one of you here today say to this older pastor, I'll never slip away. I'm in it for good. Because that's exactly what Peter said. And the other 11, or I should say the other 10, they all said, we will never deny you. We're in it for the long haul. But Peter didn't realize the subtlety of this one thing that you and I both have to recognize, the weakness of our flesh. How many times have I told you? Because I'm truthful. If nothing else, I've got a lot of flaws, but one of them isn't being a liar. I don't have any doubt that I could fall from Christ. I have none at all. So that knowledge, and it's real knowledge, causes me to ever be vigilant. And eternal vigilance is the price of victory. You want victory in your life? Look, I would suggest you turn the TV off. Oh, I listen to Christian radio all day long. I do not. I do not. If there's a select broadcast that would be on, perhaps, yeah, but I got a Bible. 31,102 verses. That's going to take me a lifetime. And it has taken me a lifetime. Because you're getting all this stuff, and what happens is these subtleties come into the mind. Under the guise of being a sheep, hey, brother, you rip it off, you see a wolf. You don't really have to answer a yes or a no, but I want you to think about it honestly. Are you really prepared? If Jesus were to come today, would you be able to stand before him and say, here, my Lord, I'm ready. My friend Grant Jeffrey, now gone on to be with the Lord, used to have a thing when he wrote his book on heaven. He says, there was a little button on your seat there that you could push and immediately leave this world, die, and go to heaven. Would you push it? And you know what? I remember when he said that, speaking once, I really had to think about that. Some people say, punch my ticket, I'm ready anytime. Then a doctor's report tells you something, and all of a sudden the fears come, because they're there. They're subtleties. We must overcome them by exposing them to the light, so that we can honestly say, God has not given unto me the spirit of fear, but of power, and of love, and of a sound mind, and in some respects become attractive to the world because in reality, we don't have the fears they do because we overcame them by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And we actually have it in reality, not theory. If Jesus came today, would you be able to stand before him unashamedly and say, here my Lord, imperfect, but I gave it my all. And if you can't, as your pastor, I'm exhorting you to get to that place now before the subtleties of your innate fears, hidden fears, lusts, whatever it is. We all have it now. Remember that. We all have these things. Gets a grip on you and you're out in the street someday, a year or two down, and I'm walking by and you're hiding from me. Why would you hide from me? I'm just a man. And people do it on a regular basis. I mean that. Whether it's in the gym or on the occasions I'm in the store, they don't want to run into me. Why? I'm just a man. The one you should be thinking about is God. There's a button on your seat. Let's change the analogy just a little bit. Can you say, I'm going to push this button. Christ is going to come for me. And I'm going to be able to say with all of my heart, Lord, I'm ready. Now I want to get out of here. I hear that far too much. Don't be a coward. You're alive for a reason. Stand up and be a soldier of Jesus Christ. We'll go home when Jesus comes. And when he's ready for you, he'll take you home. Until then, do your duty as a soldier of Jesus Christ. Would you push the button right now? I'm ready. Well, let's endeavor to live to that point where we could say, sure, I'm ready to go. And not because I'm a coward, 
Not because I'm afraid of another round or another fight or I got to get back up again. There's a difference between courage and cowardness. And I want you to picture it's a little white button on your side there. You can push that button and Jesus will come immediately for you and you'll stand before him. And you'll look into his eyes, eye to eye, just like that old mama with her daughter. And he'll say to you, I gave you my commandments. Did you keep them? Now he knows, of course, but what's your answer? Would you push the button? And again, I'm not talking about there's a sickness in your life. You know that I have a disease, but I'm not going to go around spending my whole life sweating about it and worrying about it because I expect Christ to be my healer. Because I expect to stay around and stay in this fight. There's the button. Would you push it and meet Christ right now and look him straight in the eyes? He asks you questions about your commitment to him. Could you do it with a clear conscience? And if there's any hesitation, if there's any doubt whatsoever, you know you need to be restored from your backsliding. Let's go before the Lord today. Let's let his fear guide our lives. Let's go out into that world and not look more miserable than they are. And that comes from God who says, let the joy of the Lord be your strength. Father, we come before you this morning. We are taught and told that we live on enemy territory. Satan is the prince of the power of the air. And we're going to be in a battle and in a fight until we do go home. I don't know how many people today would honestly say they're ready to push the button. But that option is not ours anyway. It's on your timetable. You have a calendar. Our names are marked on it, every one of us. And you know exactly what day, what time we're going to meet you. But help us, God, a time for truth to be all in. To have no reservations about meeting you or being on our deathbed someplace. And to have full confidence that what you said in this book you mean, whether it's healing for our bodies or for our minds or strength. And that when you do test us and you're burning off the dross, heal us from our backslidings. So that our relationship with you is not casual, but our relationship with you is fervent love. Baptize your church with the Holy Spirit. But we're not these superficial things, circus acts that we see, but with the real thing. When people meet us, they'll know something's different. And not because it's just weird or wacky. Because what we say and do makes sense. Help us, God. We need your help to let your joy be our strength. And for us to have an intrepid spirit, God help us to take our inheritance and walk through this ungodly, evil, wicked world, looking for souls whom you have said you would pour out your spirit and save some. Help us to be the agents you use. Fill us with your spirit. For those of us, God, and there's not a single person here or watching or listening that's not under tremendous stress and pressure, in the home, in the marriage, on the job, all three, from the news, from the media, all over the place. We're all in it, yet we're called to rise above it. Stand firm and having done all, to stand. Dressed in full armor like a gladiator, but not a dead one, a victorious one. We give you the praise this morning, give you the glory this morning, give you the honor this morning, for you certainly are great and greatly to be praised. Father, we thank you for another day, a Lord's day. And we thank you that we have had the opportunity to hear your word, to pray, to preach, to sing, and to be together. Remind us during the week to love you with all the heart, soul, mind, and strength that no one, no one, no one comes before you. No one causes us to stand. We give you all the praise, 
We give you all the glory and all the honor today in Jesus' name. Can you say amen with me today? Amen. And amen.